morning. Good morning, Transit Church. You guys can keep just talking. This is great. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good. Um, it's so awesome to be here this weekend, Thanksgiving weekend. Everyone have a good weekend? Yeah, yeah awesome. Uh, for those of you who missed announcements, my name is Jake Mudgerzo. I'm the pastoral intern here at the Transit. Um, and I got to say, this week, our, uh, our children were all sick with fevers, so we were a little low-key this week in our Thanksgiving feast at home. And it's probably the first time in 20-plus years that I did not eat a truckload of food. Um, so God is gracious, and that worked out pretty well, so I'm feeling good. Um, I'll say I'm feeling good, but I did notice one thing, and I already explained it. I want to explain it to you because you're going to see this. This has got to be the itchiest shirt I've ever worn in my life. So you're going to see me itching and stuff like that. I don't have, like, chicken pox or anything like that. It's the shirt, and never again will I wear it. But uh, <laughs> uh, today we're in Nehemiah chapter 10. You can turn there in your Bibles. And for those of you who missed the last uh, couple messages or weren't really listening, that's not really any of my business. That's between you and the Lord. Uh, we'll do a quick recap. What have we seen in Nehemiah? The wall has been rebuilt. The word of God has been read. And the people respond to the hearing of God's word. And what was their response? The word of God convicted them of their sinful human condition to wander from their loving father. So they mourned. They were weeping at the, what they have done. And then they are directed to rejoice. And why are they directed to rejoice? Because the grace of God is good. And so they rejoice. They have a feast. They drink wine. Yes, wine. Uh, they celebrate the grace of God, even in the midst of their wandering and sinful lives from generation to generation, God's grace was sufficient for them. So they rejoiced. And last week, Pastor Nick was in chapter 9 of Nehemiah. If you haven't listened to it, I recommend you go back and listen to it. It's a very good sermon. I think you, that's what you wanted me to say, Nick, right? That was, um, all right, sorry, I missed, some, I missed some of the bullet points. But yeah, very good sermon. Um, and what do we see? Public confession of sin. The people are repenting, confessing their sin personally, but also corporately as a group. And they're not just confessing their sin, they're confessing the sins of their ancestors generation to generation, the generational sin that we saw. And what did Nick tell us about that? What does the, the text show us? That sin, what is done in private, affects others. There's generational impact of what we do in private. Those around us and the generations to come get an overflow of what we do in private. And Luke 8 tells us that whatever is concealed will be brought to light. God will not be mocked, and our sin will be revealed. But praise God, his grace is sufficient for us, uh, though we are pr prone to wander. Um, and Nick used for that generational, as they're confessing the sins of their ancestors, Nick had the chain link up here as an example. And we see in the text that the people in Nehemiah are at the bottom of that chain, and they're confessing their sins, but they're also going up from chain link to chain link, generation to generation, confessing their sins. And by doing this, the hope is the chain flips to where the people are up top of that chain, and what they pass on to the generations to come is blessing and not this generational sin that they have been handed. The people look to consecrate their lives to the Lord by entering into a covenant with him. And that's the text that we have today is 
them entering this covenant. And I would, the simple question for this morning would be one of this. What are we consecrated to? Or more simply, who are we devoted to with our lives? Does the Father's does the Father have our, our full love and affection? Does he have our yes? Because if we're consecrated to the Lord, our life will be one of a fully uh, surrendered and devoted life to the Father. And he deserves our affection, not just our attention. He deserves our love. And if you're taking notes this morning, chapter 10 is going to reveal three things. There are three points for today's talk. And it's this, point number one, as children of God, our faithfulness to him alone reveals our knowledge of his worthiness. As children of God, our faithfulness to him alone reveals our knowledge of his worthiness. Point number two, trusting God in the call to rest reveals who our confidence is in. And point number three, our level of generosity reveals who we honor first and foremost. So the text we're about to read is the Israelites are entering the covenant, um, and they're going to be signing this covenant. We're going to start in verse 28 because the first 27 verses are just a long list of names that no intern would be able to pronounce. So if you want to read that, um, praise God, good for you. You can read that on your own time. We are going to start at verse 28, and just the first 27 verses, like I said, are the names that will be signing the covenant. Verse 28. It's a long one, so uh, buckle up. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands, the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to, deserve, um, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our father's houses, at times appointed year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priests, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. 
For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of you. We thank you for, Lord, just another day we can gather in your house. This is your house, Father. So we lay everything down at your feet this morning, and we rejoice at the grace you have for us. Though we are prone to wander and sin and stray from you, your arms are still wide open to us. And we rejoice at that. We rejoice at what you've done for us, Jesus. And I just pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would clear our eyes to see your word, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, any area that uh, we are strained from you. Father, I, I just ask that um, you would be magnified. I would be completely forgotten up here, Lord, and all of our eyes would be set on you, Father. All of our eyes would be set on you and your love for us. We surrender this morning to you, Father. May you be glorified and magnified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so in the Bible, we see biblical covenants generally follow a pattern. It would contain a commitment, a solemn promise to follow the Lord at all costs. And that's what the people here in Nehemiah are doing. They're consecrating themselves, both personally and corporately. The body of believers are dedicated to honor and glorify the Lord and his house. They're not going to neglect the house of the Lord that their ancestors have. And we remember in previous sermons, the word of God, Ezra read aloud for six to seven hours to the people, and then they respond to the word of God. This revealed their waywardness and gave them a desire for a new beginning, and that's what this covenant is all about, a fresh commitment to the Lord, which leads us right to point one. As children of God, our faithfulness to him alone reveals our knowledge of his worthiness. Verse 30 we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Now, this is a direct reference back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, the command God gave his people before they entered the promised land. And he is speaking about the pagan nations they'll have to fight off. When the Lord your God gives them over to you, <laughs> gives them over, that's just amazing, and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them, show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. And what do we see throughout the Bible? That God's people, the Israelites, don't listen, and they intermarry. And a great example of this is uh, King Solomon in his great wisdom, uh, what does the Bible tell us that his downfall is he loved foreign women. And this led him astray to follow after their gods. And as a result of his unfaithfulness to the Lord, there was a generational impact. The kingdom was divided, and there were massive consequences to that unfaithfulness. And it's shocking because it's almost as if God said that's exactly what would happen. So what I'm getting at is not following the Lord, God Almighty, has consequences. What we do in secret, what we do in the dark, actually has consequences. And it's not just us and those around us, it's the generations to come as well. 
And it all, all this stems from unfaithfulness to God and his word. And what I'm trying to emphasize this morning is intermingling with anything outside of the Lord is dangerous. We can't do it. We're told not to. We can't do it. And um, God tells us here in the text that we must devote these things to actually destruction. We must pursue destruction of these things because anything that pulls us away from him needs to be destroyed. Don't buy the lies that you think will bring you true happiness and joy by just a, a little bit of fun. Paul states it this way in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in a knowledge after the image of its creator. So Paul is clearly warning the church of Colossia that they are playing with fire by still playing with the sins of the old self, that they have put on the new self in Christ, and they need to leave those things at the cross and not go back to them. And yes, we always fall short, um, and God's grace is sufficient in that, but our, our desire and our goal has to be not playing with those things that will lead us from the Lord. And practically for us, so you may be thinking, all right, great, this is like super old text. What, what does this have to do with me in my life? Um, well, I'll just be direct and, and ask you. I, I think we need to take a look at what are we consuming? Is there anything right now in our lives that we're intermingling with that is not actually glorifying the Lord, it's not bringing us closer, it's actually leading us away from him. Um, I've had to ask myself that this week. Um, and there are a couple of things, I believe, and, and a, a simple one for me is uh, what music I listen to when I work out. Um, yeah, I want to get angry and lift weights, but that residue of that garbage that I'm putting in me stays. It doesn't just disappear. There's residue with that. So we have to be careful, and I know I have a lot of work to do the Lord is gracious. Uh, and maybe it's just some, something as simple as a Netflix series that's a little risque or a podcast you're listening to that's full of obscene talk. That's, again, between you and the Lord, that's none of my business. Um, but I, I think that's something where I'm not trying to condemn anyone, but I would just encourage you to take, join me in taking a hard look at what we're consuming. Is it truly fruitful? Is it truly leading us closer to Christ or further away? And, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit may have already started this work in your heart as you've been maybe watching that show or reading that book that you felt more and more, I don't know if I should be, if I should be reading this book. The Lord's probably already started that process with some of you because I had already felt the, the nudging of the Holy Spirit in regards to the music I was listening to uh, before this message, and this kind of hammered it home for me. But that is, again, uh, between you and the Lord. And, and if you have the posture like I have had multiple times in my life where, oh man, bringing that before the Lord, praying about that, if I really bring that Netflix show to the Lord, I mean, I know I'm not going to be able to elicit, I'm not going to be able to watch that again. I think there's your answer. Um, but again, that is between you and the Lord. I would still encourage you to bring it before the Lord. Open up that communication and be led by him. Don't be led by me, but be led by the Father. 
And this is what the Israelites are doing here in chapter 10. To be clear, this is not a legalistic process. I touched on this in my second sermon a little bit. This is not a legalistic process the Israelites are trying to create to earn right favor before the Lord. This was a response, a heart response to the grace they had already experienced, the love they had already experienced from the Lord. And I love this line. Their commitment to obedience was an indication of their thankful hearts for forgiveness they had already received. Which leads us to our second point. Trusting God in the call to rest reveals who our confidence is in. Verse 31, and if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. We will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So the Israelites here are recommitting themselves to the fourth commandment. What is the fourth commandment? It is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. God created the um, Sabbath uh, when he rested on the seventh day of creation. And obviously God does not need to rest, so maybe there's a purpose for us uh, in it. And there are multiple, but um, the Sabbath was a call to stop striving and find rest in the Lord, reflect on what he has done, and praise him, and not neglect the house of the Lord as well. Um, And I I think the only ones in the Western church right now that actually practice and and honor and keep the Sabbath are Chick-fil-A. And I will be honest, I too grumble at that. You may woo, I, I don't woo. Um, Because for some reason, the only time I want Chick-fil-A is after church on Sunday. Um, And that's probably just the flesh in me wanting something I can't have. So praise God, I don't even have that option. But um, so for the people this time, the act of harvesting crops, selling them at the market, or even going to the market to buy food was a violation of the Sabbath. So God desires for us to find rest in him and reflect upon the good things he has done It's a conscious decision for us to stop and rest and reflect on what God has done, to have communion with him, God bless you, and to find enjoyment in his creation. And working hard and being productive is obviously a good thing. I'm not saying you just need to sit back and and chill all week and the Lord will, you know, rain on prosperity on you. I'm not saying that. There's plenty of scripture in the Bible to say don't be a sluggard. So um, we will work hard, but we have to look at our motivations of why we're working so hard. If we're super anxious all the time of everything we have to do and we're constantly striving, are our motivations to please man? Are our motivations really out of a lack of trust in the Lord that we need to work harder to provide um, for ourselves and our family? What are our motivations? Everyone's may be different, um, but I think that's the thing we have to look at. And Believe me, I'm preaching to myself here. Um, I will say this. My wife may have heard point number two before all of you uh, are hearing it this morning, and she very lovingly and respectfully said, you both, it was good to emphasize the point number two in your life. Um, and it was very loving. I will, it was very, very loving, um, and it was a gentle call out. Um, and I'll be real with you. I, I think in my life recently, last two months has been probably the sickest I've ever been. I, I feel like I constantly can't snap out of um, all sorts of uh, health issues going on, and that the Lord is forcing me to rest in some ways, um, and he's gracious in that and teaching me a lot that I, I'm not truly trusting him, that 
I'm trying to earn the approval of man. I'm trying to earn approval by God by working so hard. And he calls us to rest. He calls us to rest. Uh, the psalmist says it like this in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives to his beloved sleep. So we see that the Lord builds the house. It's not by our doing. The Lord will move through us and uh, wherever he has you right now. And um, it is important for us to work hard. Every one of you is strategically placed in a certain area that the Lord can shine his light through. And working hard is a way that we honor God and people see his light shining through. And it's um, important, obviously, but everything rests on the Father's hand. And he has a plan for your life. But do you trust him? And when we have that perspective of trusting the Father, that it all depends on him. He's the one that builds it. And if we walk in obedience to that and believe that truly, it should drive us into closer communion with the Father because we, will, I know for me, I need to be in prayer more. Everything depends on him. Praise God, it doesn't <laughs> depend fully on me. The Lord is gracious in that, but we should be praying and communing with him and trusting that he is a far better plan and he will provide. Um, so find rest in him. And there's a shameless plug for the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is our transit bookstore right out in the lobby. Um, if there's one book I could recommend for you to read before the end of the year that would set you up for success in the, the uh, year of 23, it would first be the Bible, but second, it would be The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I know I am no theologian, uh, so my book recommendation doesn't really carry that much weight, but it's a good read, and I love this quote that John Mark Comer has about this exact thing, finding rest in the Lord. <clears throat> oh, sorry. This quote, uh, all right, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. So if you find as you're talking to friends or you're just thinking to yourself that, man, I am so busy, that should be a check engine light of we need rest, we need time with the Lord. And that's our Father's heart, is to give us rest. And I know there are responsibilities as a DMV. I know there are lots of responsibilities on everyone here. I would probably argue that most of you here have more on your plate than I do. So there's a lot on your plate, and which should even more push us to the Father um, and our dependence on Him and make that conscious effort to stop and rest in the Lord and to find time with Him and um, I, I got convicted by something recently, and I'm going to share it with you guys. I struggle with, and, and this is all also about giving our first and best to the Lord with our schedule. The Lord gets our first and best, not our leftovers. And I, I heard recently that, because I struggle to get up in the morning. I've always said my whole life, I, I'm not really a morning person. I can't really do that. And uh, this person 
mentioned that there's no such thing as morning people. They're just people who make good decisions the night before. Um, and I couldn't say anything back to that. So what does that look like? Maybe going to bed at a set time. I know if you have kids, that, that can be very challenging. Um, but making a conscious effort and decision to put things in place to create that time with the Lord, tuning your heart to the Father and giving you true rest. Um, I know this is something my wife and I have tried to do is wake up together in the morning. Before the kids wake up, we'll have our separate quiet time. And uh, those of you who have kids, time alone with a cup of coffee and the Lord before kids wake up is holy ground. Um, so that has been very fruitful for us, but it takes a decision. It takes a decision and a commitment to say, okay, I'm going to get up at 5.50 every day. I'm going to get up at whatever time it is. I know some of you have heard get up at 4.30. Um, uh, Lord's still working on me in that area. I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, maybe, maybe. Um, and I want to read Psalm 23, and I want to point something out that I've missed my entire life. And we're going to read it, and you're probably going to think, how could you ever miss that? And that's a conversation for a different time. Um, but listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Church family, don't miss the order of Psalm 23 like I did. The Lord gives us rest first before leading us through the valley. He gives rest first. In the majority of my life, uh, the busier I get, this is my pattern of, all right, here's my to-do list. Here's the weekly schedule. Here's everything I got to do. Good Lord. Okay, if I get all of this stuff done, then I'll have time with the Lord. And it's out of line. It's out of alignment. The Father first wants us to come to him first before we, the Lord knows what the day holds. There's enough hard times and things coming up in our personal lives and the world that we have to walk through. And we're walking through it without rest first, without time first. It blew my mind when I saw this, and I'm so thankful. And that's the beauty of God's Word is we can read the same passage a thousand times, and there's new stuff, new stuff to jump out and convict you of, comfort you in, and God is good. And so what I'm saying is don't resist the rest the Lord wants to give you. Don't resist the rest the Lord wants to give you because you'll end up walking through the valley tired, anxious, and stressed, which is recipe for even further separation from the Lord, because when you're fatigued, you're stressed, you're tired, you will go to other things to cope, and you will not be aligned to the Lord. So when we rest in him, we show we completely trust him. Are we fully resting in him today? And we got to move on to point number three. Our level of generosity reveals who we honor first and foremost. We see in verses 32 through 35 that the Israelites commit themselves to give a third part of a shekel yearly for the service of the house of God. They were recommitting themselves to the cause of the Lord, the house of the Lord. The temple and workers serviced and hosted the very presence of God. It was a place to atone for your sin. It was a very important thing, obviously, and a direct way for people to meet God. So keeping the house of the Lord together was huge. That's giving and, and tithing our first and best to the Lord. 
to the house of the Lord. And that's important for us to do. Uh, right, we're not going to go there just yet, I'm sorry. Um, I do think this applies to us. And if you're feeling any condemnation or anything like that or judgment coming from what I'm saying, um, don't mishear me. You're already with keeping the Sabbath, say. You're already walking in that obediently. This is what keeping the Sabbath looks like, is gathering on Sunday morning. So if you're here this morning, praise God. That's why we're here. This is his house. We aren't neglecting it. We're coming to fellowship in, in communion with the Father, in unity in the body of believers that he has blessed us with. So you're already walking in that. And I'll say with my limited experience in ministry, I think we're pushing six months, so I still know absolutely nothing. But I do know one thing, that a church in Northern Virginia costs a lot of money to run. And I want to encourage all of you here because by God's grace, we are still here and not just surviving, but thriving. You all are very generous. You are not neglecting the house of, of God. So we want to thank you for that. And Nick did not pay me to say that. Uh, so I think this applies directly you know, to giving in our church, but also just to live a life of generosity. You know, yes, our first and best, but once we get that paycheck, what, what are we, besides the basic essentials, if we look at our bank statements, where is our money going? Is it for that big TV on Black Friday? Um, is it for the new kitchen gadget or like barbecue uh, grill? I'm not like a manly grill master, so I don't know what that is, but whatever that item is, um, and I, I'll say this, uh, my wife is a much better uh, griller than I am, and that's, Praise God for that, but I have some work to do. Um, but just look at our bank statements and, and what we're, we're spending our money on because what our heart has, our hands follow, and our money follows as well. So if the Lord has our heart, our hands follow in service to him, we want to serve him, we want to gather together and worship him, and we will give to the house of the Lord, not neglecting it. Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 8, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. If you're open-handed with your wallet and possessions for the Lord's purposes, grace and love will abound upon you so you can keep further in the kingdom of God. Jesus says this in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And this is what generosity is all, all about. It's not about the credit we get for being so generous or the riches he will pour out on us, but he will, I mean, he says it, that he will pour out to those who are generous. Uh, maybe not earthly riches, maybe not earthly riches, but he promises blessings to those who give generously. But it's about his namesake, not our own. It's about his kingdom advancing, not our own agenda. And what I'm getting at and get close to wrapping up with this, and I've said this to myself first, so I don't want this to come across the wrong way. Uh, I tend to be at times harsh with myself, so if it comes across as harsh, I apologize. But walking this life as a Christian is not about us. Such a simple statement, but I know I need to hear it daily in everything I do. This is not about me. 
And we have to ask the question to ourselves, are we consecrating ourselves to ourselves or to God? In the Western church, some of God's people, uh, not here, of course, but some of God's people have become just Bible foodies that, um, oh, I really like this part. Let's emphasize this. Give me a little extra of that. Let's water that down. Let's cut that out completely. We're not going to honor that. We're not going to follow that. And what we're doing, I've heard it said this way, what we're doing by that is chipping away at the cross. And over time, we've chipped away so much that the cross really just looks like an image of ourselves that we're worshiping, not Jesus Christ. And the Word of God is meant to convict us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's meant to challenge us. The Lord knows it comforts us, but it is challenging. And I pray that when the Lord looks upon this church, he would continue to see transit church faithful to his word, faithful to him, for he's worthy of it. He's worthy of everything we have, our first and our best. And I, I would just say this, I, again, I'm just an intern, I don't know much, but I do know one thing, that there's a tomb in the Middle East that's empty and a throne in heaven that's occupied. He's worthy of everything we have. Only one has overcome the grave for us. Only one has gone to the cross for us. So when he looks upon us, may he see that we are faithful to him. As the world and culture tries to turn up the heat and apply the pressure to God's church, his house, his word, we will not waver. We will continue to remain strong, courageous in him because he is with us. So may he see a faithful church, a faithful group of believers giving everything to the poor. We have so many opportunities in this area to bless others, uh, Christmas presents this Christmas, the food drive that we've been doing, and you guys have been beyond generous, beyond generous, and the Father sees that. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be done here if I didn't throw in some Charles Spurgeon. When we were united by faith to Christ, we were brought into such complete fellowship with him that we were made one with him. And his interests and ours became mutual and identical. We have fellowship with Christ in his love. What he loves, we love. He loves the saints, so do we. He loves sinners, so do we. He loves the poor, perishing race of man and pants to see earth's deserts transformed into the garden of the Lord. So do we. We have fellowship with him in his desires. And, oh Lord, may we be so devoted to him that his desires become our desires, that his purposes become our purposes. Less of ourselves and more of the Lord is my prayer. And thank you, God, for your grace. Um, the band, you guys can... At least, uh, Caleb, you can come up. Uh, Pastor Nick shortly is going to lead us in communion. But if you're here this morning, and maybe you have strayed a little bit from the Lord, or never fully given your life to Jesus, I would tell you this. Whether you believe it or not, you're giving your life to something. If not Jesus, you're giving your life over to the world. And we had a guest speaker here a couple weeks ago that mentioned the, the world gives you more work and death, but Jesus gives rest and eternal life. There's no greater decision you can make with your life than surrendering to Jesus Christ and letting him build the house, for he can build a far better home than we can. Amen? So Pastor Nick, you can come up and lead us in communion. If you need communion elements, they're right out in the lobby.